May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Hey, uh, have they done that yet? Not yet. The nations have not. No. No. We're praying, working and praying. It will eventually happen. It will. Welcome to the Dominion Podcast. This is episode 40. Nice. Yet 40 episodes and Nineveh will be destroyed. (laughs) No? I was trying to find a, a 40 number in the Bible today, and that was that was the first one. I guess you've got the 40 days in the wilderness. Yeah. Noah and that sort of thing. It's going to rain. And, mm. Yeah. It's going to rain. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm your uh, one of your hosts. No longer the beta host. No longer the beta. That's right. I'm working on my alpha skills. So we'll just call me <laughs> host number one, Jeremy Boyd. And I'm Alex. That's great. That's great. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Your your background, how you grew up, you know we haven't really opened up a lot to the uh, audience since no most, we haven't most of them know us anyway. But yeah, hi mom, yeah um, hey, <laughs> hey shout out to mom. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm turning 36 on Saturday. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that's great. Yeah, and uh, so I grew up. I'm a country boy. Actually, on my way down here, I was listening to country music that you would hate. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't listening to Merle Haggard? No, I definitely was. I was listening to guys singing about Merle Haggard. But right, right. Yeah, they all they all uh, mentioned the OGs, but no, I'm a country <laughs> boy and uh, grew up near Peterborough. Nice. And um, Whereabouts? Uh, it's, called, it's called Bland Line. Bland Line. Bland. I don't know that one. Yeah, it's the four, it's the fourteenth. So if you go to Sherbrooke all the way out to the corner store, yep, um, in Mount Pleasant, you turn right. Your first left is the road I lived on. Okay, and uh, I thought that was Hayes Line. Up no, there. Hayes is the next one. Gotcha. So so I was the fourteenth, and uh, yeah, Christian home, uh, solid parents. My father passed away this year from frontal early frontal temporal dementia, early onset. Um, but godly, godly Christian parents and grew up at a, in a Baptist church. It was, it was an interesting Baptist church though, because it was like high liturgy, almost Anglican. Hmm. Um, there are not many in Baptist, town here. Yeah. Murray street. Okay. Yep. And, uh, I mean, we had a, a choir director and an organist, um, who was quite, uh, you know, Quite skilled. He leads the Peterborough Singers and stuff like this. So it's quite a. It was quite a cultured in the. Um, Even the building itself has that feel to it. It does. It's a beautiful space. It the is. sanctuary is gorgeous, yep. and uh, it was a very. Have they closed down? Because uh, it'd be a great place for Hill City to buy. Yeah. No. There's. <laughs> I know. <laughs> or just get. Yeah. Um, we grew up there. And then when I was a teenage, I think 18, we moved to a formerly Brethren Bible Chapel. I, it wasn't really Brethren. I mean, it was still elder-led, which is great. Um, committed which, uh, to scripture. Which chapel was that? Uh, Auburn. You were in Auburn. Okay. Yeah. So we went there. and With um, all the other Dutch people. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you know, I went to Trent University in Peterborough, and I met my wife there through the student group, the Christian student group. And well, good things can happen at Trent. They can. That's great. You know what? I actually, I have very fond memories of Trent. Trent, his, from what I understand in my own experience, was the real liberal education. 
not liberal arts. It wasn't the classical liberal arts education. It had it long since abandoned that in many respects. Um, but I mean, Trent is known for the listeners who aren't aware as being a, we would used to say liberal. We wouldn't say progressive. We'd mm. say a very liberal school. Um, even it's, I, I don't know when it was, in the 60s or the 70s is when it was built. And even the architecture is, it's like a... Oh, it's depressing. It is. It's like a modern take on uh, classic architecture. Just picture communist Russia after an earthquake. Yeah. 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 And it's like if they reshuffled Oxford with communism <laughs> and an earthquake, that's what you get. Because they still try yeah. to, they have the college system. You know, I was part of a Champlain college and they have these throwbacks, but it's a, a modern twist. And there is a certain charm to it, its uniqueness, mm-hmm. I will say. But then they go and build Zosky, which for those who don't know, it's a big yellow building. It looks like a block of Swiss cheese. Um, anyways, they were truly liberal. So mm-hmm. when I went there, the Christian group and the Muslim group and the LGBTQ group um, could get along in that there was a mutual understanding that public discourse was something that it was a it was um, civility between opposing mm-hmm. views and dialogue was actually to a degree respected. Memories, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is not the way anymore. Unfortunately. No, yeah. no. So I mean, they tolerated all types of things, and my mom went there. Back in the uh, probably the seventies, um, you know, they've had sh- they've had shared multi- you know both gender washrooms since the beginning. So this has always been a school school that has is liberal, is rejecting kind of the, the norms and traditions from the outset. But at the same time, there was a genuine um, pursuit of understanding and. Uh, I had a great experience there. Now, it was much smaller when I went. When I graduated, I felt like I knew and that I recognized most of the people on stage because I'd walk across the bridge every day to the library and I I felt like I would see the same people all the time. Even if I'd never talked to them, Like I felt like I knew my graduating class. Um, so I actually had a great experience at Trent. The Christian group really experienced revival at that time. And I would say biblical revival and that people being saved, um, desire for holiness and devotion to Christ and a hunger for his word and desire to be together, fruit that only the Spirit can produce. And it was out of that that we um, actually, the student leadership and the church that I was attending, kind of we got together and proposed a church plant, which became the, the gathering in Peterborough. Um, and then became Hill City Baptist in 2015. So, what were you studying there? I was studying history. History, okay. When did you realize you wanted to maybe get into the ministry? Um, I actually remember the feeling. I was, uh, I think I was about 18. And when I, was, I say ministry, I don't mean the kind of ministry that every Christian is supposed to do. No, I mean pastoral ministry. Pastoral ministry. Yeah. I remember helping at a youth group when I was 18, and I was I was still really confused at this point. And I remember after all the kids went home and it was dark and standing in the parking lot looking at the church and just being overwhelmed with a love for the church and just thinking, this is what I love more than anything is is the people of God and what I want to do is help them. I didn't know what a pastor was. I didn't know 
what what that even meant at all. But I, I would say that was a genuine desire. And so a year or two later, I forget when it was, um, when the Lord really, you know, granted me a, a, a miraculous renewal. I mean, I was sitting in Zosky reading a book and it was about sanctification and the author just basically said, you can get past the sin in your life because Christ died for that. And it hit me in an experiential way, the um, the way that the cross applied to my sanctification and the ongoing battle against sin, not just as a past reality, but a present mm-hmm. and, a, and a future one. And I literally just started weeping in the lecture hall, hundreds of people around, uncontrollably, like I just couldn't stop. And eventually I had to get up and leave. And in that, I remember, I I was probably weeping for two hours, which is really not normal for me. And I remember I it went only to the, what it normally only lasts about half an hour, yeah, like forty five minutes. Forty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went to the church to talk to. A, I'm like, I should talk to someone. I don't know what's going on. I should talk to someone. And the pastor wasn't there, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, like. If, if you're trying to teach me, you know, speak to me through your word, like that's what I'll trust. And I just felt in my spirit to go to the story of Moses um, calling, which I never, I, I don't remember reading that personally. Like I've heard it before, but not reading. And the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And it had the overwhelming sense of commissioning. And I, I feel like that's the spirit did lead me to those texts. And so I left that undergoing a serious renewal, uh, uh, putting off of sin, and a, a, you know committed to Christ in a fresh way. And I was going to drop out of school and start a church in the homeless shelter I worked at. And I didn't know what a church was. And, and, and church planting wasn't like sexy at this point. Like it wasn't, there was a time, there's like five to eight years there where it was like, the biggest badge of honor was to be the church planner. You know, there's associate pastors, there's lead pastors, but then there's church planners, you know? Yeah. Um, they're meeting in coffee houses and people's garages. Yeah, and, they're just, yeah. They're, they're, they're the entrepreneurs of the of the church. That wasn't a thing. So I didn't even know what that meant. I'm just like, I should just be telling people about Jesus. And my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was like, you're going to drop into school. <laughs> We just started dating. Maybe, maybe finish your education. And what she really meant yeah. was trust where the Lord has you. Yeah. And I was on the student leadership, and I thought, yeah, students. So you're naturally an impulsive person. There's ways in which I am. Yeah. Um, I know the feeling. It's like you get convicted of something, and you're like, I have to do something about this right now. Yeah, I wish I was actually more like that. I'm. I'm actually tend to overthink everything. So I'm more prone to be paralyzed by indecision than I am to be do right. something that I think of later. That's not me, actually. Um, my uh, my character is kind of like the when it when an iceberg uh, or when a what do they call it the uh, Titanic when the penguin polar bear <laughs> stop confusing me. <laughs> When the glaciers calve, you know that? Okay. When they just a giant chunk falls yes. off. It's like for a long time, everything's melting, everything's sifting right. and all that. And all of a sudden, when, when it's time, it's time. Yeah. Like my brain works very slow. Right. Uh, I'm not good in like 
on point situations. Okay. But I'm good at like mulling something over slowly in my mind for a long time. And then when my mind goes, yeah, do that, then I do it. Okay. Usually yeah. pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't have that impulsive right. thing yeah. in me. Yeah. Like yeah. some people like the, like, I want to do this. And then like the next day, like the website's up and yes, you know, and the, they get the business registered and the, right. it's like, it's already done. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That ain't me. Right. Yeah. So that basically is what the church, what birthed the church. Um, so I moved to Barbados and I got married and uh, a, I worked shame. construction. Yeah. Nice. And I had a great, it was the best, honestly, the best job I've ever had outside of being a pastor. It was amazing. Oh, man. Building stuff in, in the Caribbean, like that would be awesome. Oh, yeah. And it was project management. So it wasn't like I was a mason in 35 degree weather. Even, all, even that would be kind of awesome um, in, in, in a way. In, in a way for a week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is hot, but you yeah, get those trade winds, you know? Like, yeah, the trade cool. winds until it, until it's summertime and it's right. uh, it's the uh, the rainy season. And then you would pray for rain and yeah. pray <laughs> for wind rather. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so here we are. Nice. Here we are. And uh, what about you, Jerry? You're a local boy. Yeah, I grew up uh, in Peterborough for the most part. I was born in Gaspé, in uh, Quebec, uh, <laughs> way out on the mouth of the St. Lawrence. My I dad, did not know that. Yeah, now you know. My dad was a pastor Quebecois. at a small bilingual church out there. It was it wasn't a bilingual church. It was a church that had a French and an English congregation uh, in Gaspé. So I was born there. Uh, my Family moved to Quebec City when I was about a year and a half old, two years old. My dad was doing some more training uh, in Quebec. And then um, uh, we moved to Toronto when I was five or maybe four. And then to Peterborough when I was nine, I believe. Huh. Eight, eight or nine. I was in grade three. What does that make? What does that make you? Eight or eight. nine. Yeah, I was eight. Uh, so we moved to Peterborough when I was eight. My dad was working at uh, Eastern Pentecostal Bible College yep. in town here, a once glorious institution, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I grew up in the church, Christian family. I was involved in all the events and whatnot, in all of the uh, scheduled youth group meetings and whatnot. So yeah, that's kind of the long and short of it. Spent a couple of years overseas living in Jerusalem, studying traveling around, learning the secrets of uh, shawarma and falafel, <laughs> which I still crave. You can't get a good falafel in Canada. It just can't happen. I'm sorry. You know what? The first one I ever had, and I can't compare it to that, but was in Ottawa. Apparently in Ottawa, there's a lot of good stuff. The best stuff actually, I've had in Canada is in Ottawa. Right, because yeah. it's people from wherever Le- they make it. It's the Lebanese guys. The Lebanese. The best, yeah. They make the best stuff that's closest to what it's like in Israel. So they actually like shaved it off of oh, yeah. the spit. And then I, then I went to this other place in Toronto that was by myself. Yeah, they got it all ground up I, already in the thing. They throw it on the grill. Yeah. For Come I'm on, like, guys. I can grill chicken. Like, I yeah. want to get it from that thing. Like, that's the if thing. If it's not rotating in front of an electric burner, I don't want it. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's uh, sort of my story. I, um, you know, I've been more or less faithful over the course of my life, mostly less. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have an experience similar to your library experience that I would, you know, a lot of people ask, like, when did you become a Christian? And I can't, I honestly can't say, but it's possible it was only six years ago mm-hmm. uh, because I had a 
uh, quite an experience and, and a, a renewal and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my story. And, you know, I work, uh, as an HVAC tech, I involved at Westmount uh, doing some teaching there and that's really kind of the big priority right now is mm-hmm. uh, just being a part of the church, man. I love it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, that's that's the culture I want to be a part of. Those are the people I love. They're my family. Mm-hmm. So It's interesting that you left out the fact that you've toured across Europe and you've eaten Dutch delicacies out oh. of vending machines. Croquette out of a <laughs> vending machine at a gas station in Amsterdam is delicious. When you're starving, it's really good. I also had a horse sausage. Uh, what do they call that? Oh, I was in a place called Hertogenbosch. Or no, maybe it was Alphen on the Rhine. Uh, I can't remember. And uh, we finished a show and went out afterwards. And there was like this uh, late night like snack place open. And they were selling these long, thin sausages. And they would they put them on the bun, slit them open, just then just coat it in mayonnaise. Uh, what was it called? Um, but I, anyway, it turns out it's horse. It's like a horse meat sausage. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it was really good. So yeah, I used to play music professionally. That's what he's hinting at. Yeah, that's what I'm hinting at. So why don't you think that's a part of your story? Honestly, when I was just talking there, I had forgotten all about it. That's so wild. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Because it was like the one of your driving passions for <laughs> a was. long time. It was. Yeah, I uh, I spent a lot of time, wasted a lot of time, damaged a lot of relationships. Uh pursuing a career in music and um you know what i appreciate though jerry about one of the many things i appreciate about you is that we had a young man sit down and talk to you because he had an opportunity to kind of some band asked him to you know hit the road with them so to speak and obviously for those of us on the outside for a lot of us i mean the idea of being in a band and touring is just a really cool thing and i don't mean cool as in like high school cool i mean that would be really fun and fulfilling. Well, it is fun. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you, most people don't know the actual ins and outs of what that means. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun, but, um, it's not a career for most people. No, it's not. And especially in Canada. Yeah. So the, most of the bands you hear on the radio that are Canadian bands, those guys still have other jobs. Yeah. Most of them. Yeah. The guys that are writing the songs are probably making enough money from, royalties and whatnot they right. that they don't have to and maybe some of the players if they're studio guys or they're touring right. with multiple bands they can they can work uh as a musician but those are very niche things they're niche there's not a lot of them i i did a lot of work as a sound technician mm-hmm. when i wasn't on the road and that's just i'm a techie guy i've mm-hmm. always been involved with technical stuff so you know i was always kind of around the music scene um but yeah when you're so when you're opening up on the road for a band that's on the radio, like, yeah. so we toured with bands like, um, I don't know if you remember Boy mm. or, um, I mean, there's there's other bands like that that would have been like sort of Canadian mm-hmm. big bands. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, they would go back to their jobs when they finished being on the road. Right. But for us, the opening band, it's like, here's a hundred bucks yeah. for the band, yeah. not, not per musician. This is your fee. That your agent negotiated for you to play this show. 100, 100, 150 bucks. You get your 45 minutes and uh, try and get to the next gig on 100 bucks. Like it, it just doesn't, yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. And so 
uh, <laughs> I do have some interesting memories. Like, so we, we had a, a label, we were on a label, uh, the one band I was in. And so they would provide tour support because most bands, you know, like you don't make enough money on the road. So mm-hmm. you need the label to support you. And so we would do up a budget and we say, well, we have this many kilometers to drive. So we're going to need this much gas, gas prices, this much. Mm-hmm. Plus we need to eat. Um, in Canada, the clubs do not generally provide you with meals like they say in the contract. Um, there's always a contract that always says they're going to provide you with meals or, or a buyout or they just give you 10 bucks instead of feeding you. Uh, but they never do. You know, maybe one out of 10 does. That's so wild. Do you think that would be in their best interest? It's like the cheapest way for oh, them yeah. to do it. Yeah, you think it'd be, they would want a band that's not, you know, starving. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, we would we would basically put a budget in and then uh, there was a couple sweet tours where, you know, we got like 10 bucks a day from the label so we could buy, You've made it. buy food, you know, smokes. Like, <laughs> I remember the on, the, on the one tour, I was smoking at the time. Uh, mostly, like, do I either smoke or eat today? <laughs> well, see, if you smoke, you're not as hungry, <laughs> especially if you smoke a lot. Uh, is that why rock people like rock stars are so skinny? It's like realistically, yes, they just no. That's don't part eat. of it. That's part of it. I I, I weighed like one hundred and fifty pounds <laughs> for a long time, uh, and it, that had a lot to do with it. It's just wow. You know, you're you're actually getting a workout on stage yeah. every night, and then you go and sleep in the van, uh, <laughs> which I didn't mind, but it it got pretty tight after a while. It's, but so there was one tour where I think we were gone for like. Almost a month touring like coast to coast in Canada. And I had a, a biker leather jacket with all these little zippers and stuff on it. And I had one little pocket dedicated for like my savings. <laughs> so between like I had 10 bucks a day from the record label so that I could eat. Uh, and I saved, <laughs> I saved up part of that. So I came home from the tour and I had like 55 bucks saved up. And <laughs> Coast to coast, so that so and that you Chris come fifty five dollars, and and I saved up that money specifically so that we could pay the electrical bill when I got home. <laughs> it's such a terrible use of time economically. It's like you drove thousands of kilometers. Yeah, it's like you could have worked half a day at Tim Hortons to make that. Oh yeah, and I did. I would get home and go back to cooking, oh. you know, cooking on the line or doing sand yeah. and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I actually worked for a picture framer in town. He was a, a great employer, would let me take off and come back every now and then. Nice. Yeah. Well, so I've, I've had a lot, I got a lot of stories. You do. But it's, it is funny because I honestly didn't think about it when I was yeah. giving you the story. Well, it's it shows your priorities have changed. Probably says a, a couple things, but... It, it I, it's true of all of our. I mean, when you shift priorities so much, it's hard to care about the things that, even though they were big at the time, they just weren't heading in that direction. Yeah, and so it's kind of like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, but, but what I appreciate about you is that you <clears throat> you advise this young man one to the realities of the business. It's like because I think the proposal it sounded great, but they had to pay their way. Oh, remember? He, yeah, they they were asking him to pay. To be a part of it. Yeah. And it's like, man, that's not actually a good deal. So yeah. you get kind of hyped up. You're like, oh, this is cool. They asked me in a band. It's like, they asked you to pay your way. Like, yeah. that's not an offer. 
I will say this. For all the time I spent and all the money I didn't make, I was never out of pocket. Yeah. So I I never put my own money in the gas tank. I mean, when we were first starting, we did some of that, uh, but it didn't last long. Mm -hmm. And we found a way to at least make it Mm self-sustaining. And then, I mean... But then you're spending money on bass strings and amplifiers yeah. and stuff like that too. But you know there was there was times where we had uh, we got free gear or mm-hmm. we got free strings from manufacturers, and so there was there was some perks to it. And mm-hmm. um, and you know I there were a lot of great memories. Yeah, I, I made some great friendships, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to see a whole lot of the world. Uh, we you know we toured Canada a number of times. We like you say, we went over to Europe. We went down to uh, South by Southwest. And, yeah. Uh, got to see some stuff in the States. Did you have to ship your stuff overseas? Like, do you just bring your guitars and you got amps we over We shipped there? some stuff. Um, we didn't ship everything. We brought guitars. Okay, yeah. And some some other electronics, like all of our pedals. Okay. And, and drums. We shipped drums as okay, well. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we, every, we everything was disassembled and packed, like, really tight. Yeah. So yeah, that was an interesting way to do it. But then we had to rent stuff when we were over there. Yeah. But we also had to make it fit in a minivan because we toured in like a it was like an Astro size minivan, which we also slept in most nights. How many guys? Five. You slept in a minivan. Like I slept in a, in the captain's seat. Wow. For a week and a half. That was a wild. That was a wild tour, and that was um, sort of near the end of the lifespan of the band. Mm. And, you know, first album was out. Nobody was buying it. Um, we'd already toured Canada three times supporting the record. The label didn't really want to put any more money into mm-hmm. it. Um, but we wanted to go overseas. So there was a, a film crew that was interested in doing a documentary on, you know, like what it's like being in a rock band, you know, the true stories from the road. So they wanted to do like kind of a reality thing. Uh, and it, <laughs> we, we didn't want to do it. But the only way we get the label to agree to let us go overseas is if we let this crew come and film us the whole time. Yeah. And uh, like one of the lowest points of my music <laughs> musical career was when we landed in, in Amsterdam and we got there at like four in the morning. And so we got there, we rented our vehicle I was the only one that could drive because we, we couldn't afford to pay for the extra driver. Oh, I should be laughing if this is sad, but I just can't help it. It's a standard, which I hadn't driven since I was a kid. And then you're in <laughs> Why were you and driving then you're cars as a kid? Well, as a young younger adult. He also used to jack cars when yeah. he was a kid. <laughs> they call me the artful dodger. Um, so you're driving this car. So we're, we're, we're like tired, uh, totally new time zone. We got there, and the film crew let us crash in their hotel room for a couple hours until it was time to get up and go about the day. And then they just wanted to film us all day walking around Amsterdam. And they're like, are you guys going to go to the red light district? Are you going to – like, they wanted us to do stuff that we didn't want to do. Yeah. Like, no, I, I never want to go to the red light district. Yeah. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. to make a TV show about it because that's disgusting and mm-hmm. gross. So they were always trying to get us to do stuff that they thought bands would do. Like get really drunk and go do a bunch of drugs and go find mm. some hookers and stuff like this. Like, sorry, I know this is a family program, but the, this is the type of mm-hmm. world that you're in, right? Mm-hmm. They have no idea what like who we are, mm-hmm. and uh, you know all the guys in the band were professing believers, and so uh, with the exception of one guy, and so we were we were 
pretty tame. Yeah. And that was not good for the TV show. Yeah. But uh, so the lowest point was we get there and it's like we haven't even played the first show yet. And we've had half a day of going around Amsterdam with this film crew where they're making us take all this like, uh, what do they call it? B-roll? Yeah. Like, take a bunch of B-roll. Here, walk over here. Can you guys do a thing where you like all jump at the same time and we're, we're going to do that like 10 times in the <laughs> middle of this square in Amsterdam? It's like you just feel like a total knob with this crew following you around and we uh, we kind of got away from them we just kind of took off and went and got a meal because we were like you got to get away from these people are driving us crazy (laughs) and we just i remember sitting around the table we were all just like so depressed we're like i can't believe we have to do this for 10 days i just want i just want to play to circle back, I think I know now why it's not part of your testimony. <laughs> it's like, how can you leave out the fact that you were a rock star? It's like, well, let me tell you what let that Let me means. tell you about that. <laughs> Slept in a minivan and ate croquettes. I literally ate croquettes out of a um, uh, a vending machine. But you know what? We didn't, we didn't go hungry on the tour because every club in Europe gave us either our buyout or food or both class they all provided everything we needed we showed up in copenhagen for a gig and if you're wondering what our topic is tonight folks there is no topic this is just (laughs) called shooting the breeze getting caught up (laughs) so we show up in copenhagen and um we go to the club do the sound check nobody knows who we are in copenhagen like this is not a mystery Mm -hmm. we're a third tier level canadian rock band (laughs) <laughs> you know, our album was available in in Denmark, but it, it was not that available, if you know what I mean. So we get to Copenhagen and we get into the club and oh, do boy. the sound check. And the the staff were amazing. Like they were they were these kind of like punker vegans. So they brought us this meal. They knew that I had a nut allergy, so there was like nothing had nuts in it. There was bowls of candy. There was our two four of beer. You know, like they had everything for us mm-hmm. that we that was on the rider. Uh, and then, so then there was no other band. It was just us, no opening act or local band or anything. So we get up on stage and literally played to <laughs> the sound guy, the bartender, and the film crew. <laughs> There was not a soul in there that was not employed in one way or another. So, I mean, we played to some pretty small crowds, but never, never that far away from home and with never zero people. Do you still have a desire to like, under the right circumstances, like me and starting a country band, would, would you ever just get up and like do a gig? Oh man, I miss playing loud. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. 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 Uh yeah, I miss like it. I don't, I don't right circumstances. Like I don't pine for it. Yeah. But I would totally be into that if it was the right circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well I'll let you know. <laughs> for sure. Well, now that we've talked about my other life. Yeah. But uh Yeah. No, I had had some good times, good friends. Uh, and I was a part of some bands that I thought were pretty good. Yeah. And now you, uh, all the skills you've learned, too. I mean, this podcast is really entirely you, the technical side. If you're wondering why my microphone sounds so good every week. <laughs> That's me. It's because I know about audio. <laughs> Which is not many people do. And uh, even the video and stuff like that. And the music, you still serve the church that way and playing at Westmount. But 
even helping us, things that we've done over the years as well. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. cool to see how the Lord uses even things that in the moment oh, yeah. don't feel as though they serve His purposes or we're not sure exactly how, but He does yeah. use all things for our good. He does. And um, I just think there's kind of a lack of professionalism yeah. in a lot of faith circles. Mm-hmm. And we all know like the... Uh, you know, the stereotypes of really bad church music and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's, why is this? Mm-hmm. That we should be making better music than anybody. Yeah. And so there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with honing skills and doing what it takes. And I mean, there's no better way to get good at your instrument than go on the road, be hungry uh, and tired and have to play every night. Yeah. Night after night after night, no matter what's happening. Like you just get good. That's mm-hmm. the only way to really get good. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Do you think part of the reason it, it there's there's a number of things in church music? Maybe we could talk about this for a bit. Sure. But it's not just music too. It's it's art in general. It's art. Yeah. It's it's so that kind of um, anti-professionalism. I mean, there's a good side to it where people are. Perhaps a bit of it is a reaction against formalism. Yes, and so the the which is the more traditional um, performancism, right? Where you need to be a professional musician, professional mu- singer. Um, it's almost church is a performance, and even in the high liturgical sense, and people want to get away from that, and they want it to be accessible. So, yeah. or participation, I should say, um, you know. And there's something good about that, probably. I think what it fails to recognize, it might even be an egalitarian type of thing, what it fails to recognize is that God has apportioned in the body many different gifts. Mm-hmm. And the, our our goal is not to make everyone the same or give equal opportunity for every single person to do That's every right. single thing. That's not in any way desirable. Yeah. It's, it's But we actually, all know, like, we all know that stereotype of, you know, you show up at a church and they go, "Oh, you know how to play the spoons? Oh, yeah, you should join the worship." Band. Oh, yeah, you know. And it's like, okay, well, and again, you can't go the other way and just say the music in the church is for the professionals. No, everybody is supposed to sing. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you think. What you think your voice is like. This is public yeah. proclamation and worship. Yeah. So I strongly feel like people need to sing and worship in that way, regardless. Yeah. But I also think, in the same way that we wouldn't just let anybody get up and preach. No. You need to be qualified. Uh, you know, you have to be able to exposit the Word of God. Yeah. So we shouldn't let just anybody get up and play music and no. lead, lead people in singing. No. No. So there needs to be a recovery of the uh, variety of gifts in the church mm. and, an, and an encouragement and not just a rec- like an embrace and a love for that, a love within the body to see people to encourage and support one another in what we're good at, not constantly be competing to do it. You know the bad, like there's certain church cultures where it's like everyone's competing to be on the worship team because that's like the coolest or the best or the greatest demonstration of my, you know, acceptance and spirituality or something. That's a bad culture. We should have, everyone is not trying to be the preacher or the worship leader or the deacon or whatever it is. Um, they're trying to be who God made them to be and gifted them to be. Yeah, you know, I think because it's such a visible thing, some people are drawn to it. Yeah, 
Do you think another problem in the in contemporary let's talk contemporary worship? Because you and I might even disagree on some of this. I've noticed my friends who've come out of Pentecostalism, which is a recent thing, and and prioritizes performance a lot in musical worship um, in a certain way. Uh, there's almost a a lot of my friends, and I see this in you a little bit. There's like there's a bit of an aversion to, for example, a band. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an aversion to. Um, Obviously, the lights and the spoke machine, uh, but but yeah, but there's almost like a visceral like. I remember when this was just real showy and real performancey, yeah. and no one was saved, but we're all into it. Yeah, my aversion comes from a couple places. Okay, so the first one is related to the previous point. The more people you have, the better they need to be. Right. Right. The more like if you the more if you have like ten mediocre musicians, it's gonna sound horrible. Horrible. If you have two mediocre musicians, it's okay. Okay, gotcha. You know what I mean? The more it's like you're exponentially adding Yeah, you made this point to me. People need to be able to play with other people and that's that's a that's a different skill than knowing how to play your instrument. Okay. Knowing how to play together is a whole other thing. Huh. And so the more people you add, the better they need to be and the less, the more restraint they need to have as a musician, in order to hold back and play when it's appropriate. So you, and amateur uh, musicians don't know how to do that well. Um, now, the only way you can learn to do that is if you do it. So yes. you have to be able to, you have to play with people in order to learn how to play with people. Right. Then the other, the other thing is what you're hinting at is that aversion to. Uh, for me, it's an aversion to the sentimentality, mm-hmm. and. There is there is a focus on professionalism in a sense in the Pentecostal and other charismatic circles or even other circles that aren't charismatic but would have the big band and the the idea is that the better the band sounds the more you feel mm. right so the t- and it's and it's not even it's it's also the style mm-hmm. right there's a style of worship that is meant to make your emotions do something yes and that's, I just, I'm not into that at all. Uh, we have emotions. God has given us emotions, but they need to be triggered by the right things mm-hmm. and not um, massaged or um, tickled by fleshly things. What, the, what I, the nuance I would want to add to that second thing is that any good thing can be distorted. Of course. And so I don't think... I don't actually think emotionalism isn't good, and that would be the empty emotion that is not driven by um, praise for God. Mm-hmm. You uh, can get that in preaching too. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get it from someone to to rally you up. That's why a lot of these like fundamentalist Baptist guys are always pounding and yelling, and yes. it's an attempt to stir you up. Yeah, it's not the substance. Yeah. But I would, but but I don't think the response is so. We should reject a form that lends itself to that because I would say no. Because clearly, um, in the Psalms, the fact that you add instruments yeah. to words means the form is actually God ordained. Yeah, and music does move, it and does. It, and it's not a dangerous thing about it. It it can go bad, but cheeseburgers can go bad, and and uh, microphones and and you know cameras, everything can go bad. Yeah. But I see that a little bit. It's almost as like if we just 
um, did Gregorian chants in the Psalms, we would have good worship. And I was like, well, did you nope. read the Psalms? Because I read things like... Psalm 150, I mean... Yeah, like make loud noises, like with symbols. You know yeah. what a symbol sounds like? Like a symbol is not a subtle instrument. No. <laughs> <laughs> like it is, it, and, the, and it yeah. seems like the purpose of it is an expression of exclamation. And... Not that there aren't moments for silence and, and all kind music can express the full gamut of emotion. Mm, and yes. just as I believe the Psalms, as Calvin said, express the full range of human experience, I think it's instructive that many of them are put to music. And I think that music is a God appointed means of expression that and I even know for me, I feel stifled in worship. Like I wish I I watch people who are more um, who I wouldn't agree with all the theology, but I would I long for the freedom of worship that they have. Right, and I I actually see that to be more biblical. I'll be honest. There's weeks where I wish people would start clapping. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and some people some people do. Yeah, like kind of you can feel. Yeah, where they're doing this. Yeah, and I just I just wanna. Yeah, I wanna hear this yeah. sometimes. You know. Well, in the song, there's dancing, there's clapping, there's yep. shouting. Um, I just, you can kind of get in the reformed world. It's like a narrow temperament. And we just have to be careful that we're not making our yeah. principles really our temperaments. Um, and it's, it's. Yeah. So there's certain things I do to try and mitigate against the emotionalism without pushing too hard the other yeah. way. One of them is repetition. Mm. So I try not to repeat things. Uh, as much as our charismatic brothers and sisters were. Because mm-hmm. there's a sense where they're repeating something and it's it's almost getting to the point where Jesus, where he's, where he's warning about um, people who multiply words it's in prayer. Mo- there are many words that God hears. Them. Right. And this is a very pagan idea yeah. of if we just say the same thing over and over. This is what a mantra is, yeah. right? You're saying it over and over and over and it's almost like the gods are deaf and they need to hear you, right? It reminds me of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They're yeah. just getting more and more worked up. And so the repetition uh, lends to that. So I, you know, I just try not to repeat things that but, much. But not, you, not that I never do, Yeah, but it's like just there are things to be conscious of in order to try and mitigate against these excesses. But, but do you think that part of it is it's not our job? It's like some things it's actually not our job to mitigate. Like it's actually the responsibility of the person who... So I'm thinking of um, what psalms it, but it's like the steadfast love of the Lord endures yeah. forever. It's literally like yep. tens of times, yeah. over and over and over. And so even that, <clears throat> you know, we don't repeat. It's like, well, it, fully agreeing, it could become a mantra, and it could become almost uh, the more I do it, the closer I am to the Lord, as opposed to the distance, the chasm that exists between me and God mm-hmm. is only um, bridged by Jesus. It's not it's not our the strength of our praises. Yeah. But having said all that, I I um sometimes when you don't repeat things, like I feel like sometimes we just go through the song. You know, like we just get just personally is we just get through the song and I'm like I'm not really even into it yet. And by that I don't mean carried away by emotions, but I'm just I haven't even had time to th- to really dwell on the central truth of this song, you know? Yeah. And that's where I think uh, repetition is appropriate because the human mind, it's like you said, you, your mind works slower. It's like we, we don't 
repetition is a way of implanting things deeper within us as well. You know, it serves multiple purposes. Mm-hmm. And I I think... I, I want to go back to your professional point here because that's helpful. I think a lot of people want to imitate, setting all doctrine aside, but imitate, say, Hillsong or Bethel. I don't know if you've ever watched any of the stuff at yeah, Bethel. Yeah, super professional. It's like, yeah. now that you say that, they must be insane musicians. They're very good. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting how you even, like, you went on tour, you obviously were a professional musician. You've caught a record. You've done multiple tours. You've played with the same guys. And you said that you even got better by playing. So, like, clearly, it takes a lot to get good. <laughs> like, if you, if by the end of the tour you were good after all that you played, most churches, it's like, show up for an hour before the service. Yeah. You know? So, and in the history of the church, I mean, people have been set aside by the church for that, recognizing, look, do you want, do you want the hallelujah chorus? It's like, well, that's all that guy does. Man, I've been, I've been listening to that steady since Christmas. Yeah. Over and over again, I've been listening to that. It is like one of the greatest achievements of Western culture. Yeah. It's, it, it blows my mind. It's unbelievable when you look at even the text. The flow of the text is based. It's the gospel story. It's yeah. the prophecies, the Old Testament. The, yeah. Oh, it just blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. And you think of Bach and these other guys that would have been employed by yeah uh, the church to do the. Imagine going to church on Sunday and Bach is like yeah leading the singing. I mean, yeah. it's just yeah mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and I miss I miss that. I grew up in Murray Street, and our organist was a was Canadian top class, and um, Sid. Yeah. yeah. And he he ended every Sunday with I forget what it was. I believe he played after the service ended, he would play. Or just like a, yeah. as people are walking out. Yeah. And, and um there was something about and it was a, a when I say a pipe organ, I don't mean the one that's like a standalone. I mean like there was hundreds of pipes yeah. in the ceiling of the church. Um it was it was like an army. You know, like yeah. it was so loud and I actually missed that. So it's yeah. not about drums and bass, but it's like, there is something it's about like the gravitas. power. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's like, God is a consuming fire. And there's something about Kumbaya, you know, single guy with a guitar that's, that's great, that expresses other things about God. But there's something I miss about just the bone shaking yeah. power of the organ. Played by someone like that. None of this. There's some terrible organ music that's just so. Um, it's like a Thomas Kincaid painting, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, can you please like play in the lower half of that thing a little more? Like, yeah, let's get some power here. And I, I do yeah. miss that. I, I just listened to a podcast from the the Theology Podcast. Yeah, listen to those guys: C.R. Wiley, Tom Price, and uh, Glenn Sunshine. We got to interview those guys. Oh, I'd love to interview all three of them at once. That would be. Great. They'd probably like to interview us. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even. I don't know. They're 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 pretty high above our our league. Hey, Glenn In- came to our colloquium. Glenn did, and he was awesome. Uh, but they just did an an episode on sacred architecture. Oh, they, I'd they love they to talk listen about to it all. The, they talk about this stuff all the time, but just like when you see these old cathedrals, yeah, like these were built over centuries, yeah. In order to reflect something about God's nature, yeah. Uh, and now it's like, 
like I'm not, I don't want to bash my own church, but you walk in and it's more, fu- it's more function. Totally. There's no art on the walls. Yeah. Uh, and if there is, it's usually, you know, um, a scripture verse and a cursive writing. Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, I don't mind that stuff, but when you see real religious artwork, uh, like some of Rembrandt's paintings, like yeah. you think of like Jeremiah weeping over Jerusalem mm-hmm. or something, like that. you're the just prodigal. like, yeah, it's like this, this is, this is transportive. Yeah. And the architecture in some of these old buildings and Murray street Baptist was like that in the sense, but you go into some of these old stone uh, cathedrals that are actually, you know, you look at them from over top, and it's actually shaped like a cross. Yeah, you've got the nave and the and the, uh, the 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 side wings and all that sort of stuff. Everything is meant to convey something. Yeah, there's no no detail left to chance. Mm-hmm. And so, I know some modern churches are doing that too. I know uh, what was it R.C. Sproul's church was relatively recently built. Yeah, St. St. Andrews, Andrews. Yeah, and now the the canon the the um, the um, Christ Church. Christ Church is building a new church, so I'm sure it's going to have a lot of these uh, features as well. So, And it's not just about the architectural style, because there's it's distinct. Um, no, it can still be modern. But it's about the effort and the intention put into it. Yeah. And we would need a massive uh, worldview renewal for that to happen, because yeah. everything we do flows out of our belief, is an expression of our belief. And... Yeah. I guess it's to bring this full circle with the worship thing. I'm I married a, a, a someone who grew up charismatic Pentecostal, lovely Christian family. I mean, her dad's her hero. He's one of my heroes. He's a very godly man, and um, totally different traditions. So I I kind of look at the different groups, the people of God, not just currently over time, and I think, what does this group have? Like, what is this genuine believers who possess the same spirit? Where have they been led and where where are our weaknesses and where are their weaknesses? You know, where can we help each other? But I think there needs to be a reform. Um, a con- there needs to continue. There's always, there's, yeah. there's been one going on in the church's yeah. worship and I, especially in the reformed world. Because there's, I mean, I struggle with this because there's something to be said for austerity. But there's what's, also, what's that meaning? Like, again? You know, you think of the small clapboard church out in the country. Mm. Not to, it's not really decorated. It's just kind of, it's got a, a function. Yeah. Um, and and in many ways, as Christians, we're called to forsake a lot of worldly things. Yeah. But then there's these other ones that are just so beautiful, and they convey such uh, such truths. The um, the podcast, the podcast guys, we're talking about how this one church in their area, the front doors are like bronze and they're like 12 feet high so when you walk into the church you're just immediately confronted with something that is so much bigger than you yeah that's the first thing you experience as you're going into this church and that's meant to convey something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know there's there's a again there's, there's balance in all this stuff right we don't just make everything gaudy and expensive for the sake no. of it it's got to have some kind of transcendent purpose yeah but but i maybe to close that this part of the the conversation, it's that we need to see that there is a value there and it has to be part of our priority. The excellence in the arts, the excellence in the architecture, um, in the musicianship and and all of these things are a value. So it's not that they need to become the only value or we sacrifice everything for it, but they are a value Mm -hmm. that that is perhaps undervalued. 
Um, why don't we just close with like a couple current events, one current event. Um, I've been watching this stuff go on in the in Parliament because of the trucker thing. So they've actually had some debates. So I'm confused. Are they actually meeting? So they did meet the other night. They called an emergency meeting. I don't know what that means, where they had a debate about what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, Is this after the liberal guy broke ranks? Because it's yes, the, the one liberal yes, MP that broke yes. ranks. Yeah. And which struck me as, as, as we've talked about this on the podcast before with Bill C4, but um, the part of the progressive worldview is that language creates reality. So um, in order for something to be true, you don't have to find evidence or appeal to reason and make arguments. You say the words. Yeah. So our prime minister is actually the chief, you know, the head priest of the progressive movement in that he he doesn't actually ever, ever respond to no. questions with reason. There's no accountability. Or make arguments based on reason and appealing to facts. It's actually just um, say speak a reality into existence. Yes. So, you know, why have you why don't you care about Canadians and why have you harmed them? We love Canadians and we want to protect them and keep them safe. It's like throughout the pandemic, we've matter. worked hard and Canadians are more united than ever. It's like it doesn't mean are anything. you living in the same country? Like, yeah. And this is a this is a, a symptom of yeah. a progressive religion that is detached from objective truth. And we're seeing my point, the simple point I want to make is that how evil and dangerous this is. Mm. Because it's not just that you positively position yourself as moral without earning it or without justifying that. It's by definition self-justifying, yeah. self-righteous. You know, someone says, why have you done this bad thing? You say, I have not just done this bad thing. I've done many good things. Even if the whole debate is whether that's even true, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You've said it. Yeah. It goes insidious when your words also create reality to condemn other people. So these are not only fringe minority views, they are racist, misogynist, Nazi, insurrectionist, insurrectionist occupiers, terrorists. Now, I'm old enough to remember when occupation was a good thing for the yeah. left. They, yeah. remember, remember the Occupy movement? Yeah. 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 But yeah. it's... People need to realize uh, when you abandon Christ, you get all kinds of chaos. And this is one of the ways we're seeing it flush out. It's like you you don't have to – journalism is dead. Yeah. Um, politics is dead uh, because truth is dead. It, it's That's, that's not right. what this is about. Um, this yeah, is, this it's, is about- not, it's not that politics and journalism are dead. It's the underlying – uh, necessity of truth. Yes. You can't have those things without people actually believing in truth. 100%. If you get rid of the belief in truth, those things cannot exist as they were. You know, the the media just becomes a mouthpiece for whatever narrative they're yeah. being told. And it's like, that's just, it's the way it goes. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's insidious because people can be condemned by those words, which is why this the is, Lord yeah. hates a false witness. Um, when When there's two parties that disagree... And one refuses to listen to the other, mm-hmm. it generally escalates into something not good. Yeah. And this is what I'm worrying about is that you've got one group of people that are just not listening, mm. not conceding, not negotiating, actively suppressing, actively, actively suppressing, um, the using the police as a political tool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sickening what they're doing. Yeah. And like, uh, Ontario now banning, or they've they've frozen the funds of the the new um, uh, 
Yeah, the yeah. New company give send go. Yeah, give send go. They've frozen those funds. It's like it's the tactics of dictators and oh, repressive yeah. regimes. So what is going to happen? Yeah, there's like I hate to say it, but there's going to be some violent outbreak at some mm-hmm. point if this if this does not get resolved. Mm-hmm. That's human nature, and we don't want it to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want you, it to go there. Though. They do. They because then they can crack down on it. Yeah, and then call it an insurrection and yeah. get their way. Right. They want CAS to go and try and take children out of the trucks, and have some father defend them, and then call it a violent yeah. incident. Yeah. and and escalate things. They're yeah. they're dying for that to happen. Oh man! But we need we, <laughs> we, we need a, we pray we need a revival. Work. We do need a revival. <laughs> we need a revival, and we need to tell the truth. <sighs> yes, that's right. Take off your mask. That's right. Unless you believe it works and it doesn't, but yeah, I was at uh, work in a grocery store today. Yeah, and as I was leaving, the woman at the door handed me a box of uh, rapid tests. Mm. I was like, "Here, have a have some rapid." I was like, "What's this?" They're like, "Oh, rapid tests." I was like, why? And they're like, oh, we're just giving them out. And then I heard later it was actually the government is giving, buying them, giving them to people to give out for free. Yeah, I was I was kind of taken aback. I was like, why is this happening at Metro? Mm-hmm. Why are they giving them out here? And people were just like, yeah, give me the stuff. Anyway, I didn't get any. Was, I don't care. But mm-hmm. um, I thought that was a little odd. That is odd. It's a little odd. So... Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's our current events. Current event. Current event. We'll uh, keep you posted. <laughs> um, finish any books this week? No, I didn't. It was a light reading week. Hmm. Yeah, it was my. It was pretty much just my Bible. I finished uh, Oliver Twist. Ah. Yeah, audio book, but uh, very good. Not as good as Tale of Two Cities, I would have to say. As a Dickens fan, Tale mm-hmm. of Two Cities is still. In my top three, mm-hmm. but good, very good. His his characters are so rich and deep. And there's so much going on behind the scenes with the characters. You really have to pay attention when you're mm-hmm. reading him. Yeah, highly recommend that. Well, anything else? Uh, anything else you want to get in? No, I think that's good. I mean, Tristan, you got anything you want to say? No. No, he says no. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave you with this. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. There we are. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. (laughs) 